Welcome to Your Pharmacy Career Podcast, proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. The podcast series has been created to shine a light on the diverse and inspiring careers of Australia's pharmacists. Each episode will focus on the varied career opportunities within the pharmacy industry by exploring the career paths taken by leaders in the fields of community pharmacy, hospital, industry, government and professional organisations. Careers never follow a defined path. Everyone's story is different and unique in their own way. The podcast series will help you discover the world of opportunities that exist and reveal pathways to achieve your dreams and aspirations. Whether you are a pharmacy student, early career pharmacist, or simply looking for a change at any stage of your career, the podcast series is designed to help you navigate ways into a career and a life that you love. Your host of the podcast series is Ali Sue. Ali, herself a pharmacist, is now the founder of Global Pharmacy Entrepreneurs and a passionate advocate for pharmacists to grow, innovate, excel, and make a lasting impact in the world. It's now over to our host, Ali Sue. Welcome to Your Pharmacy Career Podcast. This is Ali Sue. Last episode, we were excited to hear from Sam Turner, the operational manager of digital health company Script Venture. Sam shared with us his challenges, tips, and advice as he navigated a fulfilling pharmacy career from a student leader, a pharmacy manager, to a locum pharmacist, from a PSA Queensland branch committee member to becoming the operational manager at the digital health company Script Venture. To learn from Sam's diverse experiences, make sure you check out our last episode. Today, we're honoured to have the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia senior pharmacist Megan Tremlett sharing her over 25 years of experience working as a pharmacist across the public, private hospital sectors, community pharmacy, consultancy project management, and in the research field. In this episode, Megan shared many insights into the different projects PSA are involved in. She is passionate about creating job diversity and developing career pathways to optimize professional satisfaction and enable you to create a successful pharmacy career. Without further ado, let's welcome Megan. Hey Megan, how are you? Welcome to your pharmacy career podcast. Hey, thank you very much for having me, Ellie. It's a pleasure to be having a bit of a chat today. Yeah, we're very excited to have you on the show. You have more than 25 years of experience as registered pharmacist working across multiple pharmacy sectors. We want to start from the beginning. Tell us your story. When and how did you decide to pursue a career in pharmacy? As a child, I wasn't really exposed to the pharmacy environment, so it wasn't on my radar to consider as a career path. But we used to go every summer to the beach down at Torquay, and we'd take the caravan and uh, live the life at the beach for a few weeks at a time and spend most of our days on a beach towel under an umbrella. And on this one particular day, I was probably about, I'd imagine, about 16 or so. And there was an older lady lying on the towel next to me on the beach. And we just got chatting. And she said, oh, what do you want to do when you finish school? And I said, oh, without a doubt, I want to be a vet. And she said, wow, I've had a wonderful career as a pharmacist. And I think you should strongly consider it. She said, it's a fantastic career. You get lots of choices, lots of things you can do. You can travel. And I guess even though I was still dead keen on being a, a veterinary scientist or veterinarian that um, I was, my interest was piqued, but I was still pretty dead set on my path. My dad was fairly traditional and old school. You know, he wasn't that keen on me becoming a vet. He thought, oh, you know, that's a bit, bit of a tough life for a woman. 
And he was working at the Department of Agriculture with a colleague, Colin Chapman, who, uh, if you've got Melbourne listeners, they'll probably know Colin as Professor Colin Chapman um, from Monash University. Colin was both a vet and a registered pharmacist. And Dad set me up to have a chat with Colin and just talk about the pros and cons of both career paths. So got to year 12, I listed vet science as my first preference, put pharmacy second, and at the end of the year, missed vet science by two marks and went, I guess I'll start pharmacy then. So went from there, fully intending that I'd do a year of pharmacy and then just switch back to vet science again. But after, you know, in that first year, I met some great friends and decided, you know what, this actually looks like a pretty good career after all. And that's where it started. (laughs) How amazing. Well, that's great to hear. You're currently working for the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia as a senior pharmacist in the program delivery team. What's your job description as a senior pharmacist with PSA? That's actually, it's a pretty broad uh, role to be perfectly yeah. honest, Ali. So I work as a senior pharmacist in the program team. We're a small team, but a hardworking team. We work on a whole range of different things. So it might be something like uh, sort of pilots or projects where we have pharmacists working in general practice or aged care or palliative care. We might pilot new models of service delivery. We might, you know, work at programs with community pharmacists to support patients with severe and persistent mental illness. And we also have some programs that look to digitally empower pharmacists. That's a big focus of the PSA. So looking at supporting pharmacists in their uptake of my health record and electronic prescribing and the like. So it's a pretty diverse role, I guess, our team. At the moment, my job, I've got two projects that I'm focusing on at the moment and both of those revolving around palliative care, which is really interesting. Both aim to upskill pharmacists in palliative care and the importance of anticipatory prescribing, um, as well as encouraging community pharmacists to stock a, a small range of appropriate injectable medicines for care in the last days of life. So ultimately to try to remove you know, one of the reasons that might you know, lead to an unnecessary or unwanted transfer to hospital if someone actually does prefer to die either at home or in the community which might be an aged care facility. So one of those projects is, is Queensland-based, so just a complete statewide approach, which is called Pally Farm for residential and aged care communities. So that was conceived as part of Queensland Health's COVID-19 response. So in that one, you know, my role, I'm supporting the wonderful project pharmacist Alicia, who works with Brisbane South Palliative Care Collaborative. And my role really is to coordinate PSA's involvement which includes sort of subject matter expertise in palliative care and assistance to develop and accredit training materials for the initiative and really to work on, you know, engagement and uh, marketing for pharmacists Queensland-wide. So that one's a a very Queensland-based initiative. The other project is very localised and based in southeastern New South Wales and that one's supported by funding from the Primary Health Network there, Coordinare. And in that project, I'm working with three fantastic pharmacist leads who are delivering palliative care training to community pharmacists in the region. And we've just got notification that Coordinare is uh, wanting to extend that project by another six months, which is fantastic. So we get the opportunity to explore opportunities for community pharmacists to engage with their local palliative care teams. And we'll also be building a bereavement support module there as well. They're the two main projects as well as the other broader work with the program team. But I guess, you know, aside, aside to those, I'm also a member of the Accredited Pharmacist Leadership Group with PSA, 
So that meets every couple of months to discuss issues around affecting accredited pharmacists and the model of service delivery. I'm also a member of NACHO. Now, NACHO is the National Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation. That's a mouthful. So I'm a member of the PSA NACHO Aboriginal Health Service Pharmacist Leadership Group. Also within PSA, I'm proud to be a member of PSA's Reconciliation Action Plan Working Group. So that's looking to create a framework for PSA to support the national reconciliation movement. So really that drilled down, that means sort of coming up with practical actions to drive the organisation's contribution to reconciliation, both internally within the organisation and sort of outward facing in the community for pharmacists as well. And then in recent months, I've also taken on an extra role, which is a joint appointment with PSA and the Brisbane South Primary Health Network. And that's looking at opportunities for the pharmacy sector to align with broader public health initiatives that the the PHN might coordinate. So typically PHNs focus uh, their programs and support on general practice, but now there's increasing enthusiasm to engage with other sectors that provide primary care with a bit of a healthcare neighbourhood model involving pharmacists working in the community. That's it in a nutshell, just all of those things. So it's uh, it's, um, probably not necessarily defined in a job description, but it's a fortunate blend of all of those things. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I've learned many Behind things. Behind the scenes. Yeah, and just yeah, seeing you know, what, it, what it takes to develop a training module and get that accredited and how you market that and how you engage pharmacists and how you evaluate the effectiveness of that. So there's, you know, within the teams of PSA, there's a lot of wheels that work together to make that happen. So, wow. yeah, so many things gained there. How did you get this position and how can pharmacists apply to become a pharmacist working for PSA? Well, uh, I guess in terms of how I got there, it was a long and convoluted pathway after nearly three decades working in pharmacy. I've worked for PSA for the last few years. And, you know, my current position was a flow on from some earlier work that was a large scale project around pharmacists integrated into Aboriginal community controlled health services. So for me, I had worked for, to cut a long story short, I'd worked for 12 years in community pharmacy. And after that time thought, of, I felt like I'd exhausted where I wanted to go with that role and, and needed a change. And for me, I happened to come across, it must have been an expression of interest for a project called the Remain Home Project, which was led by uh, PSA National President Chris Freeman. And he was running this project that was exploring the impact of pharmacists working in general practice and whether they could reduce hospital readmission rates. And uh, I was super excited and put my hand up, but I was Working, being on the Sunshine Coast, I was too far away from Brisbane metro area, so that wasn't for me. But it, you know, I got in touch with a colleague, Shelley Crowther, who was at the time working with PSA as the manager for uh, sort of innovation at the time. And I said, oh, you know, how do I put my hat in the ring? She said, oh, send me your resume. I'll add it to the pile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she said, I'll get in touch if anything looks like it matches your skill set. Then she rang one day and said, oh, I've got a project I think you really, really might like to be considered for. Mm-hmm. And it was the, it's called the IPAC project because the, it's the acronym for a very long-winded project. So it was integrating pharmacists within Aboriginal community controlled health services Mm. to improve chronic disease management. So a very long-winded name, but she said, given your background in the Northern Territory, because I spent a few years working there, and your clinical focus, I Mm. think this would be a good fit for you. And um, ultimately, that ended up being a a shared role with a colleague, Hannah Lola, who I actually had met in university days. And Hannah sort of had done a lot of work around sort of 
policy in South Australia. So she just had a different focus but had spent years working in the Territory and over in the Kimberley and WA. So also, you know, a background working with sort of Aboriginal people. So we ended up doing that as a as a joint role, basically, and uh, that rolled over about two and a half years. So, so that was my stepping stone into PSA, really, was stepping forward and putting my hat in the ring and saying, what would it take to be considered for a position from there? So two and a half years later, the IPAC project wrapped up at the end of June last year, and then my current position really was a continuation of that for different project areas and being part of the broader program delivery team. So how can pharmacists, early career pharmacists, be part of it? Probably a few years of experience is a great thing in whichever Mm -hmm. field that you choose to be in, whether that's, you know, community pharmacy, hospital pharmacy. And I think it's pretty exciting now that there's a lot of other sort of job roles opening up for pharmacists too and changes to sort of, you know, legislation or scope of practice to accommodate that. I think going back to basics, you know, keep up clinical skills because that's our, that's one well and truly our thing. If we don't Mm -hmm. keep up our clinical skills, then uh, it could be argued that we're not uh, doing the best that we can. So I think definitely keep up clinical skills. If you've got an idea for where you want to work, then look for people within that area of interest and ask them, what did they do? You know, did it take extra training? Was it about connections? And you never know where your connections are going to come Mm -hmm. from and where those people pop up again to influence your future career paths as well. So I think communication is absolutely vital as a skill for pharmacists, whether it's speaking directly with a a patient or within a broader sort of healthcare team, grand round in a hospital, we have to have good communication skills. So I think it's just having a think about, obviously being open to what else is out there, like being curious and uh, if it is, you know, attending conferences or putting yourself into networking channels like we're lucky with social media that there are lots of opportunities to do mm. that through, you know, social media groups and uh, and otherwise. So I think that's probably the best thing is just um, look for what's out there and don't don't feel like you, uh, even if you start in one sort of aspect of pharmacy, if that's not your thing, once you've been there for a while, look to change. So always look for the training opportunities that rise. So for instance, um, PSA has a general practice pharmacist foundation course. That's an excellent resource for people who might be considering working in general practice to yeah. actually do that and get some background information. So, yeah, and I hope that soon, well, you know, before too long, we will have one for pharmacists in aged care and in Aboriginal health services mm. and potentially the disability sector. Also to, you know, remember things like state-based health bodies and uh, primary health network in the Brisbane South primary health team at the moment, I'm the only pharmacist, but had pharmacists working for them before. And there's yeah. a good symmetry there in um, primary health measures for yeah, the, the greater public good. Thank so think you. broadly. Think broadly. Just think, does it involve health? Does it involve medicines? You know, I'd like to think that we should have pharmacists working anywhere that medicines are used or pretty much spoken about. So, Well, you mentioned a lot about the rural pharmacies. How can we encourage our younger generation or early career pharmacists to get out there and exposed to the rural life of a rural pharmacy? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I absolutely support it 100%. We're an enormous country and, you know, in a lot of places if there's, there may be a hospital, there will almost certainly be a community pharmacy. There might be other public health networks to be involved with. And I think if, if you were a pharmacy student considering where to do an internship, regardless of whether you think hospital pharmacy is for you or community pharmacy is for you, I would encourage students becoming interns to consider working somewhere that they don't already know what it looks like. Go out and say you can always, if you want to come back to a metro area, absolutely. But 
you know, go and see something that you haven't done before. There's a lot of, you know, the work that community pharmacists do in rural and remote places mm-hmm. can look very different to what's done in a metro area. See what's out there and become immersed in the community. I would fully support that. So look mm-hmm. outside the four walls of the pharmacy or the hospital and get to know the community. So you know, reach out to the primary health network or if you have an Aboriginal community health service near you, go and, you know, connect with them and understand better the the culture and the priorities of the local population, Mm. what's making it tick as well. So I think that that's extremely valuable. A proportion of interns who do that never leave, which is a wonderful to increase the workforce capacity in rural and remote areas. You mentioned a couple of times the primary health network. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about that? How can we be part of that? Yeah, so the primary health networks, as I said, in all in Queensland, we have seven different primary health networks. So they're all dispersed around, say, Brisbane South Primary Health Network that I'm doing some collaborative work with now. Their population sort of within their catchment area is about 1.2 million people, around about 250 general practices, but they also have around about 250 community pharmacies as well. The clue is in the title of primary health networks. So they're there for sort of people at the community. They're really interested in, you know, health initiatives that have a positive impact on the population health within their catchment area. As I said before, like there has traditionally been a bit of a focus on supporting general practice. General practices, in order to get some incentive payments, like PIP incentive payments, they need to sort of upload data back to the primary health network on a regular basis mm. that talks a little bit about it's all aggregated data but there's mm. some benchmarking statistics as well that that help each general practice know you know what their catchment area is like and what their population health statistics are like mm. sort of maybe relative to the broader population so I think at the moment just there is a, a lot of investigation by primary health networks of different collaborative models of care and bringing other health professionals and specialties care of their community. So it makes perfect sense for pharmacy to align with private health, uh, with primary health networks because Mm. we're all there for the health of the populations. You know, health messaging through general practice can quite easily align with health messaging through community pharmacies Mm. as well. I mean, as we well know, people might attend a general practice several times a year if they have a chronic disease or a number of chronic diseases, but they're more likely to attend their pharmacy 15 to 18 times a year. So pharmacy, from a population health perspective, has got the potential and does already a lot of mm. work around population health. Primary health networks are there to, to support that. As a pharmacist, how can we approach and to be part of it? I think it probably, if you're working in community pharmacy, a good start, um, most primary health networks have like e-blasts. They have so subscribe to their e-newsletters and if they've got a project underway, they'll often send out something like an expression of interest through their e-blast. Mm-hmm. The community, whether it's general practice, will be people who subscribe to their e-newsletter. Mm-hmm. Ask your primary health network to, you know, to put mm-hmm. you on the list. That might in itself, you know, show up some opportunities to participate, but also to engage in, a, in my role on working with the health integration team. If in doubt, ask the questions, you know, or, or arrange a meeting and say, working mm-hmm. in this pharmacy, I'm interested in either collaborating or in, uh, you know, working with your organisation. Primary health networks have what's called health pathways. So health professionals can gain access to the health pathways for the primary health network. Mm-hmm. So as a pharmacist, it's worth actually, and, and generally you can do that online. If you Google your local primary health network and health pathways, you can request access as a health professional to those and that can often give some interesting insight around what the priorities are currently with that PHN in terms of health programs or strategies that they're working on. Mm-hmm. So 
That's another tip as well as the e-newsletter subscription is to get make yourself aware of the health pathways. Thank you so much for sharing. So prior to this role, you spent two and a half years as one of PSA project coordinators for integrating pharmacists within Aboriginal community-controlled health services. What did you do on a daily basis in that role? And how did you get into that position? Yeah, so my, my role in the IPAC project was as a project coordinator, as you said, alongside Hannah, my colleague. And effectively, it was a very sort of large-scale project that was, it spanned three states of Australia. So it was the Northern Territory and Queensland and Victoria. And the aim of that geographic spread was to, to be able to capture Aboriginal community-controlled health services that might have been in sort of metro areas versus regional, remote or very remote locations. So if we could demonstrate or explore the role of pharmacists in, in that geographic spread, then uh, you know, by nature we could look to extrapolate that to the whole of Australia. So we developed a, a training package that there was a protocol written for the, for the trial and effectively over that sort of first 12, 18 months we trained or a total of 26 pharmacists in the end to participate in the project to work across all the different locations. So we developed a training protocol that met the needs of the, the, the project itself and that identified effectively 10 core roles for pharmacists and some of those are patient-facing, some of them were directed at the staff of the, the health service and some were more systems and clinical governance-based. So the pharmacist received some training in, from the project perspective but also some cultural awareness training as well. The role really, and it's really, I think that probably the nuance between working in a general practice and an Aboriginal community-controlled health service is obviously being really mindful of working in a way that is culturally respectful and culturally mm. safe. It might look like the task list is very, very similar, but it's um, you know being really mindful of the principles of self-determination. So if a program is going to be delivered sort of for Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people, it's really, really important that that's informed and guided and overseen by Aboriginal people. We don't want to sort of, the idea is to empower rather than tell, if that makes sense. Mm. So that was a really important component. So the project was looking at the pharmacist activities, but then looking at not just quantitative data, but qualitative information as well. Was it acceptable to the population? So the project kind of wrapped up at the end of June last year and at the moment is with the, the Department of Health and we're awaiting the sort of outcomes of the final report. So hopefully we'll see those a bit later this year. So that's going to be really important, I think, to just help inform policy and programs moving forward. But, you know, if people wanted to explore a little bit more, like PSA's produced the Pharmacists in 2023 Roles and Remuneration Report, it gives a good breakdown of activity that you might expect if you're working as a pharmacist within an Aboriginal community-controlled health organisation. So I think that's super exciting. And, uh, the you know, PSA produces medicines, a medicine safety series of reports. The most recent one was the sort of rural and remote report. And it very strong, you know, one of its key recommendations was to embed a pharmacist in every Aboriginal community-controlled health service. Obviously, we've got a bit of work to do to reach that point. You know, one of the biggest things I've learned, I think, doing research is that it takes a lot longer than you think it's going to in order to sort of see, see results and have changes made accordingly. I think as a, as a profession, we've got a very high burden of proof almost to be able to see the changes that we want to see, whether it's sort of funding or policy. How did you gain those mentors or those a friendship that really leads you to more opportunities? I think for me, possibly it's just always looking around. 
And I think one another thing that I've learned is to almost look for or to recognise in other people what their superpower is. Mm. <laughs> we all have a superpower. It's the thing that we bring to the table that perhaps the next person doesn't. So I think just, and often it's been just either, you know, in the university environment or in different working environments, um, identifying people that have something about them that I think might be helpful that I can pick up on. A friend who can meet a complete stranger and within 10 minutes she will have found the mutual connection between herself and that person. So it's learning the communication skills. So again, for me, I haven't engaged in a formal mentoring program per se. I certainly see the value in people doing that. And a lot of people are quite honoured, I think, to be asked to be a mentor. Most people don't mind imparting some pearls of wisdom or, you know, work-related skills, I suppose. So for me, I don't know that it was about finding them and, and necessarily saying, you shall be my mentor, but rather sitting back and going, I'm going to learn a lot from working with you. And I think being working as a project manager or in leading teams, it's really, really important to identify the superpowers of the people in your team so that you can help them to, I guess, bring the best that they can to the project. I think it's important as a project manager to be mindful of timelines and deliverables and outputs and all the project-related stuff, but also just to remember to do a bit less talking and a bit more listening sometimes and letting people you know, bring forward their ideas. Mm. There's nothing better than supporting someone to progress with something that they're really passionate about and giving them a bit of a platform to do that, whether it is Again, writing an article or writing a conference abstract or something like that. So, mm. yeah, for me, I think it's just being mindful of who around you is demonstrating a really good model of care that you want to learn from and then mm. either learn by observation or learn by asking them to consider being a mentor for you in a more sort of formal arrangement. And also to never underestimate the power of connection because the person you meet at uni might be the person that shapes your job path in years mm. to come. So. You just never know who's going to pop up when pharmacy can be a small world. There's 33,000 or so of us in the country, but uh, it's amazing how many times you come across a person again from days of old. What are your thoughts for pharmacist roles in five to ten years? Well, I think having having a few decades behind me, Ellie, I'm actually really excited about where the future of pharmacy is. I think there's no doubting the the importance of community pharmacy and we need to increase sort of workforce capacity in rural and remote areas and community pharmacies are extremely accessible. I also would like to see, I think there's a, you know, catch cry at the moment of providing the right, you know, care in the right place at the right time. Uh, for me, I think it's expanding more into primary care. I think there's a lot of opportunities there for pharmacists and, uh, you know, we talked about general practice and Aboriginal health services and aged care facilities and, uh, um, potentially emerging into sort of the, the disability sector. Um, we've got sort of, you know, the, the Pharmacists in 2023 report is quite future thinking as well, like what's happening now, what's the gap, what do we think it might look like in a few years to come and what needs to happen in between. So um, I think that we will be looking to see pharmacists in a lot of different you know, environments and you might work in one aspect of pharmacy and piggyback on to another one. Like it, you don't have to stick with one job lot. I think I've uh, probably, you know, throughout my career been able to keep toes in lots of different waters and uh, sometimes you feel more strongly about one than the other. So super exciting. I think, you know, we might see things like, you know, extra credentialing for pharmacists. Um, you know, scope of practice in Australia as pharmacists is really quite broad. Um, we all know that we're custodians of medicines. We we store them, we manufacture them, we provide them, but built onto that we've got, you know, systems of uh, support for quality use of medicines as well. 
Um, and, and scope of practice looks a bit different according to your practice setting. We're governed, obviously, by our need for, uh, you know, training uh, an accredited pharmacist or a diabetes educator, um, uh, potentially an asthma educator as well. So I think what we might see is a bit more credentialing that strangely actually helps to, to sort of focus scope of areas and recognising that uh, additional training as well. So mm. I think we need to really keep our mind open to what mm. is possible and, and not feel limited within your current workplace and uh, what other opportunities lie within that to expand what you do. You know, going back, we weren't vaccinating. Now we're vaccinating, also looking at other, you know, medicines injectables as well. We're going to keep evolving and I think that's super exciting. So I think for anyone, if if you're not quite sure or you're feeling a bit stale where you are, even if you're not an early career pharmacist, look outside, do some travel, see what's around uh, if you, you know, fit your lifestyle. So lots of opportunities out there and, um, I think, you know, being part of a member organisation like PSA really helps to open your eyes to what else is out there and the training opportunities there to help support you in your career pathways would be wonderful. Um, from PSA's perspective, we've got our national conference happening on mm. last weekend of July, start of August, PSA 21. Uh, so that one's going to be, again, in Sydney, another fabulous opportunity for pharmacists to come together and network and learn and everything fun that goes with being at a conference. So last question, if you had one piece of advice for students or pharmacists, both professionally and personally, what would it be? I think the take-home message for me would be trust in your ability to learn and adapt. Uh, I think um, if an if an area of practice interests you, uh, do your best to upskill. You don't need to know everything up front. Um, you, you've got a whole career of learning in front of you. So adopt a, a lifelong learning approach and just trust that you don't need to know any, know everything up front. I think if I had some words of advice for my um, newly registered pharmacist self, I'd probably just say, you've got this. You know, like don't don't doubt, you know, your ability to to pick up what you need to pick up or to reach out for help. I reach out for help all the time, you know, doing mm-hmm. doing some work with a, a new organisation that has totally different systems. I go, okay, for me to be efficient in doing this, mm-hmm. can someone please just run me through the basics? Ask questions all the time. You know, if I do a, a HMR, I always refer back to some resources or guidelines to make sure that I've still got the, the latest evidence-based information. Mm-hmm. I've done probably the um, the pharmacist, the consultant pharmacist reaccreditation exams now five different times. You know, they come up every three years. I used to think I had to know every latest trial result that came out and really, you know, drill down to the, you know, mechanisms of heart failure, which is useful. What I've learned over the years is just knowing I need to be able to source information in a timely manner to meet my needs. I don't have to know everything, but it's helpful to know where to find things, you know, who and where and how to ask for help. Have some trust, have some faith. <laughs> I'm more than happy if anyone wants to reach out about, you know, any any of the above. Thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Thank Lovely you. to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Your Pharmacy Career Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. If you enjoyed this episode and know anyone else who you think would benefit from it, we would be grateful if you could share it with them. Together, we help even more pharmacists develop a career and life they love. If you have any questions or suggestions about future podcast episodes, please reach out to us via email, info at ravensrecruitment.com.au.